Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And here's your host, me. This is Joey Martin. Ordinarily, this program's announcer, I will be presenting today's episode of Locked On Mariners. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to the show using whichever podcasting app you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any of the other shows here on the Locked On Network. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners, and follow DC on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg. Today we're going to recall the 1997 World Series. This was an exciting seven-game series that pitted the mighty Cleveland Indians against the young Florida Marlins in merely their fifth season of existence. The two teams had taken very different paths to make it to this fall classic. The Indians had built up its core of players mostly from homegrown talents such as Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey. However, general manager John Hart had also signed some key free agents along the way and executed some very shrewd trades, such as acquiring leadoff man Kenny Lofton from the Houston Astros for Eddie Taubensy. The team had reached the 1995 World Series after winning 100 ball games in that strike-shortened season, but they were defeated by the Atlanta Braves. After the 96 season, the surly Albert Bell left as a free agent and signed a big-money contract with the Chicago White Sox. To fill the offensive void, the Indians traded for Matt Williams, who had been in pursuit of the single-season home run record before the 94 season had been cut short. Not only could Williams swing the bat, but he was also a gold-glove third baseman, a rare combination. This allowed Jim Tomey to move across the diamond to first base. At the very end of spring training in 97, the Tribe traded Kenny Lofton to the Atlanta Braves, feeling they wouldn't have been able to re-sign him at the end of the season. In a deal that also sent reliever Alan Embry to Atlanta, the Tribe got Marquise Grissom, who would fill Kenny Lofton's void in center field, and David Justice, who had been a key part of Atlanta's squad for the previous six years. Justice had been deemed expendable by Atlanta because they felt young Ryan Klesko could play right field every day and maintain the same level of offense. Grissom had some big shoes to fill in Cleveland, as Lofton had been a fan favorite, popular in the clubhouse, as well as being an outstanding leadoff hitter and base dealer, and one of the best defensive center fielders in the game. The Marlins, meanwhile, had taken a completely different route to October 97. Their first four seasons had been typical of an expansion team, the roster peppered with youngsters trying to prove their worth, and washed-up veterans also with something still to prove. From their inaugural 1993 season through 1996, they had accumulated a winning percentage of a mere 449. Manager Rene Latchman was relieved of his duties following a seven-game losing streak just prior to the 96 All-Star break. In the ensuing offseason, the club hired Jim Leland to pilot their team. Leland had been at the helm of those excellent Pittsburgh Pirate teams of the early 90s who were always in the playoff hunt, but could never cash in on the opportunities they had in October. Jeff Conine, having been acquired in the expansion draft, was enjoying a great career with Florida, usually hitting around 300 and driving in a respectable number of runs for a team that didn't provide him a whole lot of base runners. In addition, a few key acquisitions made over this time period served to further bolster the Marlins roster. In 1993, they traded for the Padres' Gary Sheffield, already an established star with a great bat, but someone still young enough to factor into the team's future. Though this was the deal that sent future Hall of Famer Trevor Hoffman to San Diego. Prior to the 1996 season, the team had signed pitchers Al Leiter and Kevin Brown as free agents. Brown was already an established front-end starter, but Leiter had had something of a checkered big league career up until that point. However, both would wind up as 96 All-Stars, with Leiter even throwing a no-hitter that season. The team also made a number of free agent acquisitions prior to 1997, including Moises Alou, Bobby Bonilla, and Alex Fernandez, also signing Cuban defector Levon Hernandez. 
Catcher Charles Johnson, the team's first pick in the 1993 amateur draft, also emerged as an offensive threat to go along with his outstanding defense behind the plate. While this team had its ups and downs, they finished with a 92-70 record, good enough for second place in the National League East and the wildcard berth. The Indians, meanwhile, had a down year by their standards, the excellent pitching they enjoyed in recent years not being as strong in 97, and they finished with only the ninth best ERA in the American League. No one who started 15 or more games for the Tribe had an earned run average under 4. Charles Nagy led the rotation with a 4.28 ERA. The team's record was a mere 86-75, and 75, but it proved good enough to win the American League Central Division. Both league championship series went to six games. The Indians topped the Baltimore Orioles while the Marlins defeated the powerhouse Atlanta Braves. The 1997 World Series began in Pro Player Stadium in Miami on October 18th in front of a whopping 67,245 fans. Levon Hernandez started the game for the hometown nine while veteran Oral Hershiser towed the rubber for Cleveland. The Indians got on the board in the very first inning. Bip Roberts led off with a double down the right field line and would later score on a David Justice single. Oral Hershiser did his job in the bottom of the first, allowing only a two-out walk. Florida got on the board in the bottom of the third inning. Craig Council led off with a double, Levon Hernandez sacrificed him to third, and then Devon White walked. Edgar Enteria then grounded out to first base, allowing Council to score to tie the ball game. They would extend this to a lead in the fourth inning. Hershiser walked Bobby Bonilla to open the inning, then former Philly Darren Dalton singled, bringing up Moises Alou. He smoked an 0-2 pitch down the left field line, which sailed over the wall for a three-run home run. Charles Johnson then followed up with a solo home run, also down the left field line, leaving the Marlins with a 5-1 lead. Cleveland answered in the top of the fifth inning with a Manny Ramirez solo home run, but they were still down 5-2, and that three-run deficit would only grow in the next half inning. Gary Sheffield drew a one-out walk, Bobby Bonilla then singled to send Sheff all the way to third, and then Jeff Conine plated Sheffield with a single. Oral Hershiser's rough day at the office ended at that point as manager Mike Hargrove replaced him with Jeff Juden. With runners at first and second, he got Moises Alou to ground into a force play. Bonilla advanced to third, while Conine and Alou were put out at second and first, respectively. Charles Johnson then drew a walk, but ball four was also a wild pitch, allowing Bonilla to score and extending the Marlins to a comfortable 7-2 lead. The Indians did take one run back each in the sixth and eighth innings, but it was not enough, as the Marlins would take game one with a final score of 7-4. Kevin Brown got the starting assignment for Florida in game two, while Cleveland called upon Chad O.J. Just like game one, the Indians scored in the first inning of this game, and it was the same man who drove in the run. David Justice plated Omar Vizquel with a two-out single. The Marlins answered right back in the bottom of the frame, however, with Jeff Conine driving in Edgar Enteria on a single of his own. OJ and Brown both sailed through 1-2-3 innings in the second, and Brown would set the Tribe down in short order in the third and fourth as well. OJ also kept the opposition off the scoreboard in the third and fourth. Matt Williams was the first batter Brown faced in the top of the fifth, and he led off with a single. Following a Jim Tomey strikeout, Sandy Alomar Jr. also singled. Marquise Grissom then stepped to the plate with runners on first and second, hitting another single, this one scoring Williams. Chad O.J. then sacrificed both runners along, leaving both Alomar and Grissom in scoring position for Bip Roberts. Roberts continued the hit parade, collecting the Indians' fourth single of the inning, this one scoring Alomar and the fleet-footed Grissom, leaving the Indians up 4-1. In the subsequent half-inning, Devon White got things rolling with a single. However, Edgar Renteria fanned, then Gary Sheffield hit into a 5-4-3 double play, wasting White's leadoff base hit. 
David Justice led off the bottom of the sixth against Brown with a walk, but was then forced out at second on a Matt Williams ground out. Jim Tomey lined out, then Sandy Alomar Jr. stepped up with two away, looking to continue the inning. And he did so in a big way, launching a two-run home run to bring the score to 6-1 to Indians. Marquise Grissom kept things rolling with an infield single, but that brought up the pitcher's spot, and Chad O.J. ended the inning by striking out swinging. Despite the number of players who reached base in the final few innings, no more runs ended up scoring. The Indians tied up the series by taking Game 2 with that final score of 6-1. to Jacobs Field was the site for Game 3 on October 21st. The 44,880 fans in attendance witnessed one of the highest scoring games in World Series history. The visiting Marlins were first on the board, Gary Sheffield hitting a two-out solo home run off Indian starter Charles Nagy in the first inning. The slim lead didn't last very long, though, as Cleveland jumped on Marlins starter Al Leiter in the bottom of that same inning. Bip Roberts led off by grounding to Leiter, but Leiter booted the ball, and Roberts was safe at first on the error. Two groundouts later, David Justice walked. Matt Williams then came up with two men aboard, and he singled home Roberts to tie the game. Justice took third on the play, and the run was unearned. Sandy Alomar Jr. immediately scored Justice on another single, and the Tribe now had a 2-1 lead. Jim Tomey was caught looking to end the inning. Both starters turned in 1-2-3 innings in the second, but Nagy had a rough third inning. Charles Johnson led off with a single, Craig Council watched strike three cross the plate, but then Nagy issued two walks to load the bases. The dangerous Gary Sheffield stepped up, and he also drew a walk to force in Johnson with a tying run. The bases remained loaded for Bobby Bonilla, but he grounded into an inning-ending double play, getting Nagy off the hook and limiting the damage to that lone run. Tie ball game, 2-2. After the Indians failed to score in their half of the third, Darren Dalton led off the top of the fourth inning with a solo home run to put the fish back ahead. That would be Florida's only run in the fourth inning, and the Indians would go off in their half of the frame. The first two batters, Sandy Alomar Jr. and Jim Tomey, both walked. Marquise Grissom then also walked following a Tony Fernandez flyout, loading the bases. Bip Roberts struck out, and Al Leiter found himself one out away from getting off the hook with no damage. However, he then walked Omar Vizquel to force in the tying run, then gave up a two-run single to Manny Ramirez. The Indians had a 5-3 advantage, which they extended to a 7-3 advantage the very next inning on a Jim Tomey two-run home run. Leiter was removed from the game two batters after this home run, replaced by Felix Heredia. Charles Nagy wasn't exactly on his game this day, either. In the sixth inning, he gave up a two-run home run to Jim Eisenreich, which cut the Tribe's lead to 7-5. This was Nagy's last inning, and manager Mike Hargrove sent Brian Anderson to the hill to start the seventh inning. He allowed Craig Council to single, and then to advance to second on a Devon White groundout. Mike Jackson then came in from the pen and promptly gave up a single to Edgar Enteria, bringing home Council. Following this, Gary Sheffield doubled to score Renteria and to tie the game at 7-all. This 7-7 tie would hold until the ninth inning. Eric Plunk was on the mound for the Indians by then, and things went very poorly very quickly for the Tribe. Bobby Bonilla walked to open the frame, followed by a Darren Dalton single. Bonilla tried to take third base, center fielder Marcus Grissom threw to third baseman Matt Williams, but the ball got past him, allowing Bonilla to score. Grissom was charged with the error. Moises Alou struck out, then Cliff Floyd pinch hit for Kurt Abbott. Floyd was issued an intentional walk, sending Dalton to second. Then, in another bizarre play, Eric Plunk attempted to pick Floyd off at first base, but first baseman Jim Tomey missed the throw. The ball hit the umpire, keeping Floyd at first base, but Dalton came all the way around to score, bringing the tally to 9-7. Plunk was credited with a pickoff, and Tomey was charged with the error. 
Charles Johnson singled up the middle, sending Floyd to third, and Eric Plunk's day was history. In from the Cleveland pen came Alvin Mormon to try and stop the hemorrhaging. He got Craig Council to ground to second, but Tony Fernandez couldn't handle the play. Floyd scored, Johnson moved along to second, and Council reached base on the Indians' third costly error of the inning. Devon White fanned for the second out, but then Edgar Renteria walked to load the bases. Hargrove had seen enough of Alvin Mormon and replaced him with his closer Jose Mesa, with the score now 10-7. Gary Sheffield smoked the first pitch he saw for Mesa into right field for a single, scoring both Johnson and Council. A wild pitch then moved Renteria and Sheffield to third and second, respectively, and they both scored on a Bobby Bonilla single. Bonilla, if you recall, had led off this same inning with a walk. Darren Dalton lined out to end the inning, but seven runs had crossed the plate, four of them unearned. Cleveland had a lot of work to do, now down 14-7 going into the bottom of the ninth against Marlins closer Rob Nen. But amazingly enough, they would make a run for it. David Justice got things underway with a base on balls, Matt Williams fanned, then pinch hitter Brian Giles walked. A Jim Tomey single loaded the bases with one out and the Tribe looked poised to do some damage. Tony Fernandez lined out to left field, but Justice scored, giving Fernandez an RBI and a sack fly. Marquise Grissom then singled the score Giles, bringing the score to 14-9. Bip Roberts was the next hitter, and he smacked a double into the right center field gap, scoring both Hernandez and Grissom. Omar Vizquel then stepped in to try to keep things rolling, but he grounded out to end the ball game at 14-11. This wild, wacky seesaw of a game was in the history books with the Marlins as the victor. We'll take a break at this time and tell you about the remainder of the series after this word from betonline.ag. Are we ready for some football? College football heads into its bowl season with some big matchups this weekend, and the NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clearer. There's only one place that has you covered, and there's only one place we trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus for your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partners at, at betonline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use promo code locked on for your sign up bonus. Hashtag betonline. If you've got a question or comment, send it to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com and DC will reply to it on the air in an upcoming mailbag episode. Questions and comments on any subject are welcome and encouraged. Just keep things appropriate since this is a family show. Locked On Mariners will continue looking back at the 1997 World Series after this word from Built Bar. If you haven't yet tried Built Bar, you should do yourself a favor and give them a swing. They come in 18 terrific standard flavors and they even have limited edition flavors coming out from time to time. All of the flavors are low in sugar, calories, and carbs. They're all gluten-free, and all the nut-free flavors are produced in a nut-free facility. Also, don't forget about Built Boost drink powder and Built Go energy shots. All of this can be found at BuiltBar.com. And if you use the promo code SWORDFISH, I'm pretty sure that one sends the nuke, so you should probably stick with promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Welcome to the second half of Locked On Mariners. Here's your guest host, me, 
This is Joey Martin filling in for DC Lundberg today, and before we get back to the show, 2020 has mercifully ended, so it's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and you'd like a few more wins of your own, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the 1997 World Series. We left off after the wild and crazy Game 3, and the Marlins now had a two-games-to-one series advantage. Two rookies would oppose each other for Game 4, Tony Saunders for the Marlins and Jarrett Wright for the Tribe. While Wright kept Florida off the board in the top of the first, Saunders struggled almost from the jump. He allowed a one-out single to Omar Vizquel, then coughed up a two-run home run to Manny Ramirez for a quick 2-0 deficit. A strikeout later, Matt Williams singled, then was driven home by a double from Sandy Alomar Jr. While Wright was not sharp in the second inning, the Marlins did fail to score. Saunders had a relatively quiet bottom of the second, but then things heated up again in the third thanks to some more shaky defense, this time at the hands of the Marlins. Manny Ramirez led off the third with a walk. Saunders threw to first to try to pick him off, but the throw was wild, allowing Ramirez to waltz into second base. David Justice then grounded to shortstop Edgar Renteria, and he threw wildly to first base as well, the ball sailing over first baseman Darren Dalton's head. Ramirez scored, and Justice reached second. The play was ruled a single, E6, and no RBI. Matt Williams walked, and Sandy Alomar Jr. grounded a single through the hole between first and second to score Justice, giving the Tribe a 5-0 lead. Jim Tomey walked to load the bases, and that would be it for Tony Saunders, who exited the ballgame without recording a single out that inning. He was replaced by Antonio Alfonseca, the man with six fingers on each hand. The first thing he did was to allow the sixth Indians run to score by giving up an RBI single up the middle to Tony Fernandez. However, he caught the next two guys looking at strike three, then recorded the third out with a pop fly. The fish were down 6 nothing after a mere three innings. They began to chip away in the fourth inning, getting one run back on a Jim Eisenreich RBI single which scored Darren Dalton, and they got two more back in the sixth inning with one swing of the bat from Moises Alou who launched a two-run home run. However, in the bottom of the sixth inning, Cleveland took one of those back, Sandy Alomar Jr. scoring on an Omar Vizquel ground out. They also plated one more in the seventh inning on a Brian Giles RBI single, taking the score to 8-3. to Matt Williams capped things off in the bottom of the eighth inning with a two-run home run to give the Indians a 10-3 lead. Brian Anderson set the Marlins down in short order in the ninth, and Game 4 was finished. Cleveland had tied the series at two games apiece. Game 5 took place the following night, October 23rd. 44,888 fans attended the final game at Jacobs Field in 1997. The pitching matchup was Levon Hernandez versus Oral Hershiser, the 22-year-old rookie versus the 39-year-old veteran. The latter gave up the first runs of this game, a Charles Johnson RBI single and a Devon White RBI double in the top of the second inning. Cleveland answered back in the bottom of the second inning, though, with Sandy Alomar Jr. plating Jim Tomey on a single. Alomar later dealt a blow to Hernandez in the fourth inning with a three-run home run that gave Cleveland a 4-2 lead. Moises Alou, however, smacked a three-run home run of his own in the sixth inning off Hershiser to put the fish back ahead. Later that same inning, Devon White would draw a bases-loaded walk off Eric Plunk. The score stood at 6-4, Florida. Levon Hernandez turned in 1-2-3 innings in the 6th and 7th. Then, in the top of the 8th, Florida extended their lead by one run on a Charles Johnson RBI single. They added yet another run in the ninth inning on a Moises Alou RBI single. The Indians were down 8-4 going into their final half inning with Levon Hernandez still on the mound. Bip Roberts led off and he reached first base on an error by Hernandez. Omar Vizquel singled and Roberts made it to third. 
Jim Leland went out to the mound with his hook and brought in his closer, Rob Nan. He struck out Manny Ramirez, and during the next at bat, Vizquel was allowed to take second base on defensive indifference. David Justice singled through the hole at short to plate both base runners, and Cleveland was now down by a mere two runs, eight to six. Matt Williams grounded the shortstop Edgar Renteria, who tossed a second baseman Craig Council, who then threw the ball away. Williams reached second on this error, and instead of a game-ending double play, the Indians were still alive. Jim Tomey then lined a single to short left center field to score Williams, and they needed just one run to tie the game and force extras. However, Sandy Alomar Jr. flew out to right field to end the ball game at that final score of 8-7. to Florida had a three-games-to-two lead as the series headed back to Miami. The Fish had to like their chances as the pitching matchup for Game 6 was Kevin Brown versus Chad O.J. On paper, this appeared to be no contest, but Brown was touched up for two runs in the second inning on a two-run single by... Chad O.J. O.J. had spent his entire career in the American League with the Indians up to that point and only had four lifetime plate appearances. He had never even reached base before, but here he proved a hero against one of the better pitchers in the National League. Manny Ramirez extended the Indians' lead in the third inning on a sacrifice fly, then drove in another in the fifth on yet another sacrifice fly. 4 nothing, Cleveland. In the bottom of the fifth inning, Darren Dalton hit a sacrifice fly of his own to put Florida on the scoreboard. And while both teams had scoring opportunities in subsequent innings, neither of them capitalized, and the game ended with that 4-1 score. The Indians had tied the series back up at three games apiece, and the 1997 World Series did indeed go to a seventh decisive game. And what a Game 7 it would be. Jared Wright opposed Al Leiter, looking to bounce back from his poor outing in Game 3. Through the first two innings, only two men reached base, one of whom was erased on a double play. It was shaping up to be a real pitcher's duel. In the top of the third, however, Leiter started showing signs of wear. Jim Tomey led off with a walk, then Marquise Grissom singled. Wright sacrificed both runners along, bringing up Omar Vizquel, who was the leadoff hitter. Bip Roberts, the Indians' usual leadoff hitter, was on the bench in the National League Park, while designated hitter David Justice patrolled left field. Anyhow, Vizquel popped out, bringing up Tony Fernandez. Fernandez lined a single up the middle to score both runners for the first and second runs of the game. Leiter then walked Manny Ramirez, but struck out David Justice to end the inning. Jared Wright walked two in the bottom of the third inning, including Leiter, but allowed no runs, and both pitchers enjoyed rather easy halves of the fourth. In the top of the fifth, however, Omar Vizquel hit a one-out single and stole both second and third, despite Charles Johnson being considered one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. Many at the time even argued he had the second-best arm in the game, second only, of course, to the legendary Yvonne Rodriguez. However, despite Vizquel's two stolen bases, the Indians failed to score, and the Marlins did the same in their half of the inning. Wright and Leiter also traded zeros in the sixth, then Dennis Cook was brought in for the Marlins in the seventh, and he set the Indians down in short order, including two strikeouts. Jared Wright went back to work in the bottom of the seventh, but Bobby Bonilla hit the first pitch he offered over the right center field wall to not only put Florida on the scoreboard, but cut Cleveland's lead to a mere one run. Wright then fanned Charles Johnson, but walked Craig Council, and his day was finished. Paul Ossenmacher came in from the bullpen to try and preserve the slim lead, and he succeeded, retiring pinch hitter Kurt Abbott and leadoff man Devon White. Both sides were retired in order in the eighth inning, and the nail-biting game moved into the ninth. Matt Williams led off for the Tribe, drawing a walk from Antonio Alfonseca. Sandy Alomar Jr. followed by grounding weakly to shortstop Edgar Renteria, who lobbed the ball to second baseman Craig Council. Council had an inkling to throw the ball the first to turn the double play, but Williams made a clean, hard slide into second to break it up. Alfonseca was removed from the game at this time, surrendering the mound to Felix Heredia. 
Jim Tomey smoked the first pitch Heredia offered between first and second for a base hit, sending Alomar along to third base. With a precarious one-run lead in such an important game, that insurance run is always welcome, and the Indians were in great position to cash in at least one, with runners on the corners and only one away. Jim Leland, sensing trouble, went to his closer Rob Nen to try and keep Cleveland from scoring. Marquise Grissom was the first to face him, and he hit a bouncer to Renteria. Alomar was on his way home, but Renteria threw to catcher Charles Johnson, and Alomar was out by a mile. The play was ruled a fielder's choice, and there were now two out, runners at first and second for Brian Giles, pinch-hitting for the pitcher's spot. Giles flew out, ending the Cleveland threat. The Marlins entered their half of the ninth inning, needing a single run to tie the game and potentially force extra innings, or two runs to win the 1997 World Series. Indians closer Jose Mesa entered the game, seeking to shut the Marlins down. Moises Alou got things underway with a leadoff single, and the Marlins quickly had the tying run aboard. Bobby Bonilla followed with a strikeout, but Charles Johnson then singled, sending Alou to third and putting the winning run on base. Greg Zahn, the backup catcher, pinch ran for him. Craig Council hit a long fly ball to right field, which was caught for an out, but Alou brought the tying run home, giving Council a sacrifice fly and a crucial RBI. Jim Eisenreich then stepped to the plate looking to move Zahn along or even drive him in, but he grounded out and this exciting Game 7 was heading to extra innings. Rob Nen went back to the mound for the 10th inning and struck out the side, allowing only a one-out single. Jose Mesa was also sent back to work for the bottom half of the 10th inning. Devon White led off with a sharp low line drive up the middle, which glanced off Mesa and went right to sure-handed shortstop Omar Vizquel, who threw onto first to record the out. Mesa, however, was not sharp at all this day, and Oral Hershiser was warming up in the bullpen. Mesa then allowed back-to-back singles to Edgar Enteria and Gary Sheffield. Charles Nagy joined Hershiser in the bullpen as he also began loosening up. The cleanup spot in the order was due up, but because of a double switch, Rob Nen was due up next. He was, of course, pinch hit for. John Cangelosi was sent to the dish to try and plate Renteria to end the series. Cangelosi worked the count full, but watched strike three graze the outside corner and headed back to the bench empty-handed. Mesa also headed back to the bench as Nagy was ready to enter the game to face Moises Alou. Alou flew out to end the 10th inning, and the game went into the 11th with the score still tied at 2. Jay Howell took the mound for the fish, issuing a leadoff walk to Matt Williams. The go-ahead run was aboard, and Sandy Alomar Jr. attempted to sacrifice bunt him along, but hit the ball too sharply, and Williams was forced out at second. Jim Tomey then hit into an inning-ending double play, quickly erasing any Cleveland threat. Charles Nagy went back to work in the 11th, and being a starting pitcher could potentially go several more innings if such a need arose. Bobby Bonilla led off with a ground ball single up the middle, and the Marlins had the winning run on base with no outs. Greg Zahn tried to sacrifice him to second, but the first attempt went foul. The second attempt was popped foul behind home plate and out of play. Even with two strikes, Jim Leland kept the sack bunt on, and Zahn popped his third attempt back to Nagy, who caught it for the first out. Craig Council then stepped to the plate as the clock struck midnight. He grounded to second baseman Tony Fernandez, who let the ball slide under his glove into right field. Bonilla brought the winning run all the way around to third base, and Council was on first on Hernandez's fielding error. Jim Eisenreich was then intentionally walked to load them up and put a force on every base. Fernandez's former Blue Jay teammate Devon White stepped in with the bases loaded and the infield drawn in. He hit a grounder to Fernandez who ranged a bit to his left, fielded it cleanly and threw on home to force Bonilla out. Two away, but the bases remained loaded for Edgar Enteria. After taking a strike, he hit a line drive just over Nagy's outstretched glove, bringing home the World Series winning run in Craig Council, ending this great game with a score of 3-2. to two. 
The Florida Marlins were world champions in only their fifth season and were also the first wildcard team to win the World Series. For all the sloppy play elsewhere in the series, Games 6 and 7 were both very well played and Game 7 is an all-time classic. Pitcher Levon Hernandez was named Series MVP. The Marlins would not remain competitive the following year. All the expensive star players they had were either traded away or allowed to leave as free agents. Youngsters including Edgar Renteria, Charles Johnson, and series MVP LeVon Hernandez did remain, but Bobby Bonilla, Moises Alou, Kevin Brown, and so many others left, and the Marlins lost 108 ballgames in 1998. Edgar Renteria would make history in 98, however, becoming the first Colombian-born All-Star. The Indians remained competitive for several years thereafter, but then hit a dry spell in the mid-2000s. They made it back to the World Series in 2016, considered a classic despite its recent vintage, where they were defeated by the Chicago Cubs. And that'll do it for this one. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program. Look for us on any podcasting app you can think of. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners, and follow DC at DC underscore Lundberg. Thank you for listening, and now it's time I put my announcer hat back on and say, this is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.